Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast with our awesome partners in the Jahi events and the Jahi tribe. If you want to learn anything right now, which I'm sure a lot of you do stuck at home, then head out to the Najahi tribe website. Go and look at the courses that are available there because there's just so much you can learn about yourself, about building an online business, about creating content, about trading Forex, trading stocks. You name it, it's there, Najahi tribe. They're our sponsors. We're very proud of them. Go check him out. On today's episode of the podcast, we have the incredible Rob Moore. And to be honest with you, I had a really, really deep conversation with him in the last time I produced some content, which is going out today, I think, on the Spencer Lodge podcast. But more importantly, Rob has one of the most successful podcasts in the UK, and I'm really pleased to have been able to make his acquaintance and share some thoughts, ideas, and pretty much brainstorm with him about stuff that's quite intimate. But let's get started, don't we? Cue the music. Rob, cheers. Thank you again. Um, your message that you sent to me after we last spoke um, at the event when you reached out to me and you said, Spencer, if there's anything you need any help with, if I can do anything to help you, that, that meant a lot to me and I genuinely appreciate that. So thank you for sending that message. Um, a few things I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about kind of like some surface things and then we'll go a little bit deeper. Um, I've got Grant with me next week, Grant Cardone on the 27th with me. I listened to your interview with him and I thought it was really interesting, your interview with him, um, covering a few issues. So I just want to cover those quickly. What did you no. what your take on the whole uh, Jordan Belfort thing? Okay, so um, I think Grant wouldn't mind me saying this. I think we, we've become good friends. Mm -hmm. um, spent a fair bit of time with him. He's only one of three people that I've interviewed on my podcast three times. And I mean, Grant's got a massive fan base, as you know. Uh, but he's also got a cohort of people who don't really like what he's about. Maybe they think he's a bit simplistic. Um, maybe a bit, you know, of an American marketer. But I think he's quite misunderstood. Um, and I know him and I, I, I ask on my podcast, my guest, this question all the time, and I'm going to answer it myself really quickly, um, Spencer. I ask my guests, what one thing do you think is wrong with the world that you would like to change? And if I were asked that question, I would say the judgment of others before knowing them and knowing the facts. And I think there's a massive amount of judgment about other people without knowing them, without having met them and without knowing the facts. And so the reason I wanted to do the third interview with Grant is to put some things to bed. One of those was there was a bit of a parody video he did about going bust. It, was, it looked clearly like a joke. A lot of people took that seriously. In fact, a lot of people were gloating. They were so happy that Grant may have been going bust, which I think, why, why would anyone take pleasure in someone else's pain? And if Grant was going bust, there'd be 180 staff that wouldn't have a job. It would be awful. Um, so that really, uh, that really irked me. Um, so we did the interview. I knew it would be brilliant. I knew Grant would give some gold. I knew there was going to be some controversy in there. And um, I'm not really bothered about going to the places that are commonly controversial with people. But um, Harry, who manages my YouTube channel, is like, Rob, you've got to get the Jordan thing. It's YouTube gold. It'll be great for YouTube. So I just asked him straight up, what's the beef between you and Jordan? And it was the best, I would say it's one of the best moments I've had in my podcast. Because I, I would say I've had dozens of people say to me, whoa, Rob, that pause. We have never heard a pause as long in a podcast before. Oh, that uncomfortable pause. That was awful. I can honestly say that is probably my favorite moment as an interviewer. And the reason being is because Grant and I just smiled at each other for ages. The second thing is, three years ago as, a, as an interviewer, I never would have been able to pause that long. And if I'd have said anything, I wouldn't have got the answer that I got. So I had to stay silent. Um, and so I, I feel like maybe it was a bit of progress for me as an interviewer to be, I mean, it must have been an, an eight second pause. It must have been. Felt like a minute. Uh, and then, Felt like a minute. Yeah, exactly. Eight, eight seconds live. Feels like a, feels like a, a five-week lockdown. <laughs> and, um, and then basically, he just bashed Jordan. He just absolutely bashed him about, you know, him being a criminal, about him um, selling out people, etc. And I was like, whoa. And how did I feel about that? Um, I did challenge Grant. And I said, I said, well, why did you go on his podcast then? 
And Grant did say maybe I shouldn't have gone on his podcast. Um, look, I probably wouldn't have said that. Maybe I'm not as ballsy as Grant to outwardly say my distaste for someone, but it's just not really my style. And I probably wouldn't have said that in that way. But, but Harry said to me afterwards, that bit about his beef with Jordan Peterson is going to be, sorry, with Jordan Belfort, um, it's going to be great for YouTube. So how do I feel about it? I think it was surprising. It was bullish. It was, it, it was pretty outrageous. It's probably not something I'd have said, but it's going to make good YouTube content. <laughs> okay, thanks for your honesty. Look, I, um, I, I know Grant as well as you do, and I, I sat with our wives having dinner one evening when we were in Dubai, and, and I talked about this, and I've, I actually have a real issue with Jordan Belfort. And the reason I, I, I really have an issue with it, and I'm quite happy for the world to know, is that I don't think anyone should be taking advice from a criminal that didn't pay his penance. And whilst I know he went to jail, okay, he, did, he, he, he defrauded a lot of people out of a lot of money. And so for me, he, he gets credibility again when he pays everyone back. Now, granted, the amount of money that he has to pay back is large, but he took it in the first place. So just because you went to jail for a couple of years doesn't mean that you've earned the right to go out there now and teach people either how to sell or how to make money. He has no credibility. He's a bandit, a crook, a thief. And um, as far as I'm concerned, um, he shouldn't be in the space he is trying to help people or pay, get people to pay him to learn how to sell. There's a lot more credible people out there. So I share the same view as Grant. Don't know why he went on it. I wouldn't have gone on it. I wouldn't have spoken to him. And um, if Jordan Belfort ever wants to reach out to me, he can go and do one. Um, because it's just, <laughs> I just, I can't bear people, okay, that, mess around with people's lives that impact people in that way yet want to come out the other side of it and start start preaching again it's like get back in your box you did something wrong you've been to prison pay people back then come back and then you can stand there and you can put your halo on your head and your wings on your shoulders and you can start to preach so i'm glad that you asked grant uh, about it because i i really can't stand i really just can't stand jordan okay so that's can I just can I just jump in and ask you something, Spencer? Because when you express that, I, I, I'm experiencing a paradox. On the one hand, I admire your clarity of vision and values and courage to, you know, openly state how you feel and the truth that you express. I admire that. On the other hand, I don't know if you've ever met him, but what I'm thinking in my hand is, I've in my head is, I've not met the guy, so I can't judge. Um, and I do think that's an important quality in someone is to be able to judge when they know someone. Um, how much of the truth do we actually know? Because obviously we've seen a film which is glorified for TV. And doesn't anybody deserve the right to try and start again? The judicial system has judged him, he served his time. Now, by the way, I'm not putting my own values on here. We're having a conversation, Spencer. But the, the other paradox I'm in is, doesn't he deserve to start again and try and build a business and a brand? What do you think about that? Again, with everybody, when you do something wrong, fix your wrong. Whatever you've done wrong, fix your wrong. And then it's kind of like, it's like when you do something wrong, when, you, when you're a kid, all right, and you've done something wrong, your mum will say to you, your dad will say to you, just say sorry. And you find it really hard to say sorry. It's like something you find really hard to do as a kid. And your mum will say, stay in your bedroom. And when you're ready to say sorry, you can come down. And you stay in that bedroom and you wander around your bedroom over and over again. And the hardest thing in the world is to come down and say sorry. And then eventually you do come down and say sorry. And you wonder what all the fuss was about in the first place because your mum rubs you on the top of the head and says, I appreciate you being honest and admitting you're wrong. He, he's, he's done wrong, but he hasn't righted his wrong. And, he, and, and I, don't care, I don't care whether I've met him or not. It's, 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 it's tens of millions of dollars. And people that were investing money were investing money because they believed, and whether it was greed or whether it was putting money to, away for their, for their retirement, okay, they, they invested that money because they believed they would get a return on that money, not that they would be hoodwinked. Um, and so that's, that's the beef I have. And I, I don't care to meet him. I don't care to meet anybody. If, if he fixes his wrong, then I'll have him on my show and I'll, I'll, and I'll talk to him openly and I'll, I'll openly 
discuss how much gratitude I have for the fact that he did do that. He took it seriously, he fixed his wrongs and he moved on. But no, I don't believe everyone gets the opportunity to do that. I really don't. And I certainly not. I mean, Jesus Christ, he was conning people when he was, when he was selling and now he's teaching people to sell. Um, no. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Anyway. By the way, you know when it looks like I've gone off camera, I'm actually showing you to my live audience. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Understood. Cool. Okay, right. That's the first thing. Second thing, I get, there's a bunch of things I want to talk to you about today that, that, that are really important. And a lot of my audience, like a lot of my audience, there's, there's, there's thousands and thousands of real estate brokers here in the UAE. And a lot of those people listen to my content. And so they're going through a real panic at the moment. They're locked down. They can't do viewings. They can't do rentals. So the rental market stopped. The, the, the secondary market stopped. Off-plan sales because everyone's worried the developers aren't going to finish their, their, their projects have all come to a stop. And all these real estate brokers are stuck at home. And they, they want to make sales. Now, I know that you can make sales online, but there, there, there isn't an easy shift to that when your job has been getting up in the morning, going to the office, getting your leads and going around the city showing people properties. Yeah. And I look at the Dubai real estate market and I can see that over the last five years, the trend has been downwards. Then you look at the first world markets, whether that's London, Paris, New York, Frankfurt, Munich, Berlin, Madrid, Milan, you name it, Tokyo, Singapore, Hong Kong. Most of those markets have done pretty well over the last few years. So when it comes to investing in real estate right now, you're an expert in this. This is what you know. Two questions. Number one, what, what, what does a a real estate broker focus on. And number two, my parents are retired and they live in Cyprus. They have a lump sum of money that they live off the income of that money in their retirement. And th that was all invested in the stock markets and fixed income markets and whatnot. We've taken everything out, put it into cash while this situation plays itself out. They need an income from their money. And they will gladly invest their money in real estate or any other asset class where they can make money. They're from the UK, they know the UK, should they invest in UK real estate to get, a, to get a rental income as their cash flow for their retirement? Okay. Wow. Lots of questions there. Um, right. I need to say up front, I'm not an expert in real, real, real estate investing in a coronavirus because <laughs> none of us <laughs> have ever experienced it before. So what I'm telling you is what I'm trying to figure out as we go. Um, because you know, it's not like a recession before. I've got... I was in the last recession. We actually did really well out of it after our initial fear. But this is different because you can't even go and view a house. So I'm going to give people some ideas. I think the first thing is you have got more time now to research more thoroughly than you've ever researched before. So what, I mean, here in the UK, we have Rightmove. We have net house prices. You know, we have various resources where you can track prices, where you can obviously see what's on the market. And I would... I would double down on your research um, such that as soon as we can go out and view a house, then you know what to buy, where to buy, and you know the prices really well so you can see the trend coming down if they come down. That's the first thing. The second thing is pivot your networking from offline to online. There's a Facebook group for everything. There are now networking events which have gone online. I have a company called Progressive Property Network. It has 30 networking event franchises in the UK, um, and they're all going online. So you've now got to find your investors, your partners, your tradesmen and women, you've got to find them online. And they are, they are online, because we're all online now. That's the second thing. The third thing though, which is the most exciting for me is, where's the disruption opportunity? And for me, some areas of disruption right now are one, um, remote viewings. Because let's say it's six months before we're actually out of lockdown properly, properly, properly. Anyone who can really make remote viewings good with virtual reality or, because a lot of estate agents are trying to do remote viewings. They're doing little video walkarounds. They're sort of, they're a bit like the internet was with dial up, you know, they, they, they work, but they're not great. I know estate agents, obviously, and they tell me that, they are doing video viewings, but it's not quite the same. But 15 years ago, people were saying, oh, well, I would buy stuff online, but I won't buy clothes because you don't know how they fit. And now everyone buys clothes online. So that is a massive opportunity for disruption. Real estate brokers, investors, and companies who get the technology 
and it's like a race to create this virtual reality viewings, they are going to be to go from local to national to global real estate and property investing. That's a massive opportunity. The final opportunity is um, the speed of transaction. I think, I mean, you can go on the Barclays app and you could pay a million or 10 million pounds to someone else. You'd probably have to do a couple of security checks. But once you've actually paid a big amount of money, you can pay that same a big amount of money to that um, vendor immediately. If you, like if you've got someone in your saved payees, you're going to pay them 100 grand or 500 grand, you can pay them just like that. Yeah. So why can't we buy a house just like that? Why does it take three months for a solicitor to sort out the conveyancing process is the, it's like, it's the most out of date, dusty, archaic process that I think that there is. That is ripe for disruption, whether it's blockchain or, you, you know, um, some, some kind of internet technology where, but there's no reason why you can't exchange it complete simultaneously. There's no reason why it can't take an hour or a minute. Why does it have to take three months? So they're the four areas I reckon that real estate investors, property investors uh, in the UK and um, across the world, they're the opportunities. Now for, for your mum, your dad, um, and you know, people like those who have- um, 250,000 people in Cyprus right now, retired, living off their retirement income. There's a chunk of those people, I don't know the exact number, but there's a chunk of those 250,000 Brits that have got cash because they've come out of investments and they don't know what to do with the money, but they must get an income because that's what they live on. And so this is not my mum and dad with their few million quid they've got. This is like a lot of people. And there's a massive opportunity if we can provide something to them that can give them an income on their money every month or every quarter, okay, that they can, is low risk and is safe. Okay. So, um, low risk and safe means relatively low return. Just three, to make that three, three four, five percent tops. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you can get a better return on capital employed. So yeah, that, that's a sustainable figure. Um, the good thing about UK real estate, UK property is the rest of the world love it. They love the red brick. They love the, the queen and, and you know, the, the Royal family that we have here. And actually it's a haven. You'll know this, but a lot of people in the UK don't know this, but it's actually a tax haven as well for a lot of overseas investors. Um, it's probably one of the most secure, most historic, least volatile property markets out there. Most so in that, yeah, exactly. So in, in that regard, it is a pretty good real estate investment. The big challenge for overseas people is getting the money to the UK, um, you know, and going through money laundering and, you know, being able to get um, a bank account, credit, etc. if you've not done that before. So you want to make sure you speak to a good broker, mortgage broker, who's able to do that, who's dealt with expat investing, or, or you know, overseas. Hold on, Rob. In this case, you don't have to worry about it because in this case, these people are sitting on the cash. They don't need to borrow money. Okay, they just need to get their money into a piece of real estate that can pay them that yield because they get yeah. a mortgage. The mortgage is then going to have to be serviced by the income from the property. So it's the it's the I've got this lump sum of cash. I need to make a four percent, let's say, return on that money. Um, like my mum and dad, they trust UK real estate, and so yeah. Sh should I buy there though? Spent? Should I buy there? You know, you know, is, is it a good thing to do? Can I? Can I? feel confident I'm going to be able to get a rental yield um, around about that much without too much hassle. Well, yeah. I mean, I obviously invest in the UK and I invest about 75 miles north of London and the yields go up from sometimes as low as 2% up to 6 7% with that 80 mile, 75, 80 mile trip outside London. So maybe one little known tip would be um, outside the M25, maybe look at 70, 80, 100 miles outside of the epicenter of London. Because what do most um, overseas investors think London? Because it's obviously the big city. And London's pretty secure and solid. Um, and when it goes up, it goes up. But the yields are low because the price relative to the rent is high. So it's the price, yeah, the price relative to the rent is high. The rent relative to the price is low. Um, so Milton Keynes, Peterborough, even Muth, 
move a bit more north. Basically, get to um, King's Cross in London and get on the train that goes north to Scotland, the main train. Um, and you'll go through Peterborough, you'll go through, I think you go through Lincoln, um, that, that train line, which is going to um, go from nearly an hour from Peterborough to London to about, what, 35, 40 minutes. That, I think that's going to push the prices right up because it's going to reduce the commute time, which means it's going to send people out of London into um, Peterborough. So my house here, I have a, um, so a seven-bed house. Um, and in, in central Mayfair, you're probably talking... 10 15 million quid i paid 575 thousand pounds for this house when i bought it six years ago in peterborough so you know there's there's the yield out of london is significantly better um so what are your obstacles then what are your risks what do you got to be aware of one is remote investing how do you know what's a good property and a bad property? How do you know what a good letting agent and estate agent is and a bad one? How do you know a good refurb team from a bad one? So somehow you've got to find an area where you can find someone you trust to manage getting that property sourced and let out. Usually, not always, but usually once a property is let out, you have, you'll have a tenant for six months to the rest of their life. Um, and you know, normally we've only got, what, two, two, three changeovers every decade for tenants. So once you're in and you've got a solid tenant, you're normally good. But you've got to find the right property in the right area at the right yield. So that's one of your hurdles. Um, but ultimately, uh, the rental market is basically more dense and more demand than virtually any other country in the world. There's not, you know, in America, there's way more land mass and way less people. Um, you know, for, for the landmass um, and the number of houses, this deficit of hundreds of thousands of dwellings versus the population demand. That's why in, in um, UK, there's loads of room rentals, you know, little studio flats, which you don't see in a lot of um, cities in, say, for example, America, um, that, that the house size is much smaller. I mean, if you look on my street, there are some really big houses here, but all the new ones, there's two beds and three beds, and they're pretty small. So the, the, the population demand in, in the UK and especially around London um, is significant. So they're, they're all big ticks. Um, so you could do a lot worse putting your money into um, UK real estate, but I probably would try and find somewhere outside of the M25. Okay, good. Excellent stuff. That was a question for me, mum. Okay, <laughs> that's... Uh... Mum, mum, just so you know, Rob's given that one for you, okay? So uh, <laughs> you can reach out to him and send him a thank you message, okay? Right, moving on. By the way, if anyone wants any help with that, by all means, they can reach out to me. We invest in Peterborough. We've got hundreds of properties here. We've got a letting agency that manages 850-odd here. It's not really, I'm not promoting a service or anything, but look, if anyone just wants a bit of help or put in touch with the right person. Okay, I know my mum's my mom, 75 years old, but she's an Instagram queen. So um, uh, I know that I can get her in touch with you quite easily. Yeah. And also all, all of her friends as well. Okay, yeah. good. Um, now, we're all going through this strange old time of coronavirus. It's a bit weird and, and a bit unusual. Obviously, we all want to be out there and we want to get back to work. But we can't. And because we can't, we're stuck. And does that mean we can't move forward? Or does that mean we just have to sit tight? and just hold tight and be patient and, I don't know, meditate our way out of this. If someone finds a course where they can meditate their way out of this and make a load of money with their legs crossed and their fingertips touched, I will buy that course. <laughs> you're, asking, you're asking the wrong person. I know, I know you know that, Spencer. Um, look, I, I think if someone needs to reconnect they need to centre themselves, if they need to reevaluate their values, and if they need to, they're going to use this opportunity to take time to plan the new direction of their life. I respect that. Do it. But, and this is my word of warning, don't use that as an excuse to try and wait this out because they extended the furloughing for another month. I was very surprised they did that in the UK, Spencer. I didn't think the government would really be able to afford to extend the furloughing um, they furlough, three-month furloughing, um, so 80% uh, of staff members' wages up to two and a half grand was paid by the government. 
although it's not been paid yet. Um, and, and I thought there's no way they're going to extend that because um, that's going to be hundreds of millions, if not billions of pounds. And they did. And that tells me how long they think it's going to last. So we could still be months before things get to normal. And what is normal? Um, I, I'm not really one for waiting to see what happens. I'm one for making things happen. So all I can really say is what I did. Because when the news of this first kicked off, I don't mind admitting this, I'm sure I'm not alone, being honest. I didn't take it that seriously in the early, early days. I thought, whatever. Um, our, our previous interview, okay, we were just at the beginning of it, if you can remember. Yeah. And so we both, you and I were chatting and we weren't taking it that seriously. We were umming and ahhing no. about it. So it's on camera, I've got it. Yeah, and a few people even said to me, Rob, you need to be careful because um, you know, this and that is gonna happen. I'm like, whatever. Once I, once I felt like I got some facts of the situation, um, I had a couple of like, you know, stomach dropping moments. It just hits you, you're like, I run an events business. We do 850 training days a year. We do, um, and we do eight figures in turnover from events face to face. And there is a real and present danger that I cannot do events for months. I may have to cancel hundreds of event days. But, but, um, and when I got those moments, the way I dealt with it was to lock myself in my, I've got this living room that I'm in here. Um, it's like my little Zen place. I've got my, um, my hi-fi is like my favorite material item. Forget my Lamborghinis and Ferraris. My hi-fi is far more sacred to me. You can take everything. Just take, don't take my vinyl. Just don't take my vinyl. Um, and, and, and my therapy through that, that fear was make a plan B. And it all happened so fast. Make a plan C. Make a plan D. Make a plan E. And I probably made about a plan G. Uh, and I decided that I wasn't going to lay down and furlough myself and pray. I was saying to everyone before the government did the furloughing, the government will not save you. The government will not bail you out. Do not wait for the government to bail you out. Now, fair play, hat tip to the government, credit where credit's due. That, that is a fucking impressive decision because it needed to happen. But you cannot wait and rely on an external source to save you. So, uh, and I didn't expect it. So I, I, I basically thought, what's the opportunity here? Now, one of my mentors, Dr. John Martini, he would say, there is, you know, there is no one-sided downside or one-sided upside. So he would say, this virus is not all downside. What's the upside? What's the opportunity? What's the lesson to be grateful for? And for me, it was, I'd been planning for years an online book writing course, an online teaching and, you know, creating courses online course. We wanted to relaunch our e-commerce course online. Uh, we wanted to do a multiple streams of income online summit. There's just five. I've launched all five in the last six weeks. All five. And um, what story... Yeah, all five launched. We've done, we've done nearly a million pounds in online course sales um, in the last, what, four weeks. Um, and much. Why, didn't I why didn't I launch those before? How much? Uh, about, about nearly a million pounds, cash in bank, um, in online course sales in the last probably five weeks. Um, now, look, that's not as much turnover as we'd normally do, Spencer. But our overhead has gone from nearly a million a month to probably 350 grand a month. Yeah. So we slashed it. Um, and, you know, I, that was really important to do. So for me, it was just working out what's the pivot, what's the opportunity. And, and, and it's either something you already do, but it goes online, or something you've wanted to do for years that now you have an opportunity to do now that you have time freed up. And what a lot of people are perceiving is, I can't work. That's downside. Well, there's a lot of people would like pray not to work. So now you've got your dream, which is not to work. How are you going to use it as an opportunity? Start your second income stream. Start your home-based or your online business. Start your e-commerce uh, shop. Let me just read something out to you, Spencer, really quickly, um, if I can find it. For you guys on Insta, this is Rob Moore from The Disruptive Entrepreneur. He's a hugely successful podcast in the UK. 
over I think 10 million downloads on it right now and uh, and growing he's, he's, a, he's a god go and follow okay you guys go and follow Rob Moore's podcast he's outspoken controversial says what's on his mind but actually he's got some real gems of information that could help a lot of you right now so Rob Moore a disruptive entrepreneur that's very kind of you Spencer uh, so there was a report released by tier 11 marketing agency I'm trying to find and there basically the 10 areas, let's have a look if I can find it. Um, the, the 10 new areas of marketing angle or niche that's really big right now. I can't find my list. I will, but I, I, can, I can definitely remember some of them. So um, productivity is one, hugely increased search because people now don't know what to do. Um, boredom, huge now online search. Connection with family. Um, online shopping, free delivery. I actually did a live stream on it on, on my uh, Facebook page, just Rob Moore. So what's happened now is, you know this, Spencer, um, you know that when there's a correction, money just moves from one place to another, money doesn't disappear. So what's happening right now is opportunities have moved from one place to another, the old with the new. Now, most successful people who've been through cycles also know that um, many of the biggest businesses in the world and the most successful people on the planet are born out of a recession. Um, and we know that um, order, chaos, order, chaos, order, chaos. Uh, destruction, construction, destruction, construction, destruction, construction. It's, that's what evolution is. So right now we're just going through a, sh a shift in evolution. So I, I wanted to be one of the quickest to work out what's the new world order. Um, what is the new opportunity for me? Um, because I felt like I felt like I've been given a gift by the universe um, of reordering, reordering and reprioritizing my time, taking away the minutiae, taking away the uh, low income generating tasks, taking away the distractions and the admin. Because in the three or four weeks, Spencer, after the lockdown, I, I, I got up at 4 a.m. and I worked through to 9 p.m. And I've never done that before. I've, I've always got up at 5.30, but you know, I'll usually work till 11 a.m. or 1 p.m. or even if I'm really busy, 3 p.m. or even 5 p.m. if I'm really busy, but I won't work beyond that. And I did more in three and a half weeks than I have the previous six months. And the previous six months, I've done more in those six months than I had the last three years previously. Um, what's the opportunity? That's what you've got to look for in your business. Um, yeah. When you, think about, when you think about what the opportunity is right now, um, we can see a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's gone into people being a, able to produce stuff online that they've never produced online before themselves. I know that you evolved with some of your products online, but you were already in the online space anyway with some of what you did. So it, wasn't, it was a case of you pivoting, but not doing a you know, 180 degrees U-turn and going in another direction. A lot of people out there are fearful. A lot of people out there are, are scared of going online. They're scared of making content. They're scared of doing a podcast. And they come up with these typical issues that they have. I don't know what to talk about. I'm, I don't know what type of content to produce. And I'm not very comfortable in front of the camera. Um, uh, uh, and, and nobody's going to like me. No one's going to pay attention to me. Um, you know, I feel stupid. All this kind of stuff. What do you say to those people? So there's two ways to look at this. One is just being brutally truthful and direct. And then the other one is looking deep behind what's holding you back. Let's start with the first one. Just get out of your way and do it. Just do it. J-F-D-I. Start now. Get perfect later. Every master was once a disaster. Every winner was once a beginner. Start now. Done is better than perfect. So I wrote a book called Start Now, Get Perfect Later, um, which since the lockdown um, is probably being... Um, it's probably been my, boat, my, my most bought and, and favoured book from what I can see. Uh, and all those things you said, Spencer, I was terrible at before I started. Every black belt was once a white belt. Every millionaire was once, you know, had no money and started. Every, everyone who's great at an art or a craft or a passion or a profession, at one point they were the, 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 the baby horse that couldn't even walk when it was born. So get out of your own way, get uncomfortable, start now, get perfect later. If you go back to your first podcast episode, your first live stream, I can, well, I, sh I can only talk for me, but I know we'd probably agree. They probably aren't as good as our latter ones, but you don't get better um, before you start. You get better on the go as you go. 
So that would be the, just, you know, if I'm just in your face saying, get over yourself, that would be my answer to that. Start now, get perfect later. If it's a little bit more deep and complicated because you've got some trauma or you had a bad experience or you had a business that went bust or, you, you know, you've just got some real inbuilt fears or baggage, you've got to work out what that is. So some people, why do they procrastinate? Because they have immense fear and baggage towards a significant emotional event they had five, 10 years ago, which freezes them. Um, or they have a massive fear of conflict or a massive fear of being criticized. And you've got to go back and, and find out honestly what that event is or that thing is that stops you putting great work out there. Um, and, and then I would say, what are the upsides of that? Uh, and, and try and balance that out with looking at um, what are the upsides of having the, those fears and things that hold you back? And then also, what are the upsides of putting yourself out there? So um, I did a bit of a, a unique thing. When it comes to podcasts, I don't know many podcasts that have done live mentoring. So uh, one of my um, mentors is Dr. John Demartini. I think he's a genius. Um, and we did, a, a, we did an interview for about an hour and a half yesterday. But instead of it just being me asking him questions, um, we did it as him mentoring me live. Um, and he said, um, he said, Rob, a goal is a delusional fantasy. Because what people see a goal as is um, all upside. You know, when I achieve this goal, which I desire, I will then be fulfilled. But in reality, what a goal brings you is equal challenge, equal downside to upside. So what John would do is when he would, he would figure an outcome as opposed to a goal and he would plan in advance the downsides as well as the upsides. So what, what, what would be a downside of becoming a millionaire? Um, criticism. A lot of I, people try and get, get my money all the time. People scratch your car. People judge you. They judge you based on their, their own values. Insurance. I mean, the amount of money it costs me to insure my watches and cars and everything else. Every time the Lamborghini goes into the garage, it's between three and 30 grand repair. Um, sometimes you get attached to items and you, know, you don't want to have an attachment to, to physical items, but you can. You're a bigger target for, uh, for robbery. So th th there's major downsides to every upside and major upsides to every downside. So when you see balance in putting yourself out there, starting a podcast, writing a book, you know, taking some risk and you see that no matter what you do, you'll attract all sides, upside and downside that get, gets you more balanced and more centered. But, the, but you have to be on mission and on message and living according to your values to be able to have the resilience to do that. So, you know, sometimes people say, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Yeah. What I believe that really means is you are not on mission and you are not living according to your values. Because the challenge and the criticism is feedback to get you into balance, to test if you are on mission. So if, if I went and did yoga and a few people said, Rob, you look a bit um, metrosexual in that leotard and, you know, you're never going to be able to touch your, your knees, let alone your toes. I'd probably take that criticism quite personally. I'd probably fuck off and never do it again. <laughs> Why? Because I'm not inspired by yoga and that criticism, I'm probably just going to want to move away from that pain. But if someone says to me, oh, Rob, disruptive entrepreneur, who do you think you are? I'd be like, yeah, I'm a disruptive entrepreneur. And I don't really care what you say because I know who I am and I know I'm on mission. So uh, I, you can challenge me, but you will not beat me um, and you will not break me because I know I'm on mission. So all criticism and praise is out of balanced feedback to put you back into balance. So you'll, you'll get praise when you need lifting up and you'll get Criticism when you need humbleizing. So what people, when they fear putting themselves out there, when they fear taking risks, when they fear moving forward, they're either in the wrong space, not living by their values, but subordinating to others. Or they don't understand the way the universe works, that you need support and challenge, criticism and praise um, in order for maximum growth. Okay, that's really interesting. You look at um, a lot of people now and they're 
there's a lot, a lot of lead generation sources that exist online for people to earn money. And so whether it's you know, the real estate industry, whether it's other industries, people are doing online lead gen, whether that's funnels and all this kind of stuff. And so lots of people in sales, okay, are waiting for their employer in many cases to provide them leads. And when I talk to them about the value of producing content, they all want to know how that content can make them money now. But I say, you've got to earn it. You have to earn that opportunity. And that means you've got to produce valuable content for a period of time so that you position yourself as an expert within whatever, whichever industry you're in. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I agree with you. Um, and you can generate leads quickly, um, but you just have to pay more for them and you have more um, churn and burn. So... Right now, let's say you wanted to force accelerate the growth of running online training. You would probably pay between four and 12 pounds for a webinar registration. You'd probably get 30% of them show up. And then if you are making some kind of commercial offer, you might get two to 5% of them to buy maybe and you'll probably have a percent of them, hopefully again, only two to 5% that would refund. So if you're prepared to pay the money, you can force grow your business, but you know, you'll end up spending a grand to get a 1500 quid sale, or some people will end up spending 1500 quid to get a 1500 sale. Some people end up spending two grand to get a 1500 sale, but that is the art of direct response marketing. So what's the trade-off for direct response marketing? Pay the money. Uh, and by the way, paying the money is no guarantee of success because you can burn your money on ads easily without A-B testing. Um, so yeah, content marketing, which is what you've essentially said, um, Spencer, what it builds is goodwill. What it builds is longevity. What it builds is trust. What it builds is rapport. Uh, you earn the right. Um, but of course that takes time because human beings take time to trust people. Now I don't say I'm doing one or the other. Why wouldn't I do both? Why wouldn't I test ads all the time on Google, Facebook, Bing, Amazon, you know, wherever I can run ads. Um, and why wouldn't I also put a lot of content out there? But if you nurture goodwill by putting a lot of content out there, you'll have a, a more qualified customer. If you want the, the hit, now you pay the money, but you have a, a less qualified customer and you have a lot more churn and burn. And you have a lot less churn and burn when you build goodwill. So like you wouldn't plant a seed and come back the next day and go, well, for sake, where's my tree? I got scammed, give me my tree. You wouldn't, you, you know a tree needs fertile soil, you know it needs sun, and you know it needs water, and you know a, a, you cannot force the growth of a tree. You can stand shouting at an acorn, go and grow for sake, grow! You can rant at an acorn, but it's gonna grow at its speed. But of course, more fertile soil, more sunlight, more water in the right um, degrees, percentages, whatever, you're going to grow something sustainable and meaningful. But of course, once you've grown a tree, that tree will last hundreds of years. Now, I, can, I understand why people want content to convert more quickly. And I think I can help them because if like this hour, Spencer, I, I'm gonna level with you in, in my decision-making for a podcast is how long do I think it's going to last? So if I did a podcast with someone or a, a video and I think I thought it would last a week, I'd either want to be paid my speaker fee or I wouldn't do it unless I was doing it with someone I really connect with like you. Um, or I thought, you know, for that week or month, there could be a massive reach or they paid my fee. But I know you're committed to podcasts and I know you're going to be doing podcasts in five years and 10 years. So I'm quite happy to do this, to commit my time, to invest my time, to not charge my usual fee. 
because in one, three and five years, this podcast is still going to be getting downloads. It's still going to be getting listens. There's going to be new people coming to, you know, discovering me and you. Now, you and I love property and many people listening love property and real estate. Why? Because we get that it's an asset. You set, then you forget. You know, you work hard and then you don't have to work hard. You, you, you spend some time uh, with your earned income to generate recurring or residual income. Content's the same. If you do a podcast episode, that could be an asset for 10 years. If you do a YouTube video, that could be an asset for 10 years. Um, I've got videos of, you know, me and David Icke going back a year that have got five, 600,000 views. Um, my highest downloaded podcast is my oldest podcast, episode one, because that's the one that people listen to first. So I will, I will do three live videos a day. I'll do three to four podcasts a week. Um, I'm, I'm now pretty much being interviewed by people for their podcast every single day. And I am creating an asset. Each one of those is a seed. Now, some of those seeds, they won't make it. They'll, they'll have shoots and then they'll die off. But one day, one of those seeds will be an acorn and that will pay me for the rest of my life. So see content as an asset, not as, oh man, I haven't got time to do this, not as a liability or a drain of time and things will change. Um, but everyone knows about compounding. They know the curve goes like that. So let me show you on this video here, although it's probably in reverse like that. So um, Warren Buffett's net worth, age 50, age 85. Mm -hmm. There, it looked like nothing, but it was actually still 10 million. Yeah. It went bang. Joe Wicks's, um, Joe Wicks's YouTube subscribers. Lockdown, bosh. Yeah, saw it. Yeah, so the curve on Joe Wicks because of compounding. So, you, but to, to be able to compound, you have to be in the game long enough. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, your podcast is very famous. Goes on Instagram, they're listening to this. Rob Moore, the disruptive entrepreneur. God knows, I'm not telling you how many books he's written. He's written more books than Bloominina Blyton. Um, <laughs> he's been out there writing books. He's got that disruptive entrepreneur podcast, which is mega successful, like mega successful. And if you listen to podcasts, like I know some of you do, okay, go and follow his podcast. Genuinely for me, go and follow, do it for me if you don't want to do it for you, because you'll get a lot out of it. Um, Right, um, we saw what happened with Brian Rose the other day uh, and London Real. <laughs> Let's have this one. Um, and Brian Rose with London Real, obviously we saw him go, like, he interviewed David Icke, then he then went for a second interview 19 days later and uh, interviewed him live. Um, and on the back of interviewing David live, uh, London Real was pretty much pulled down from Ofcom uh, instructions across many different channels. Um, we also saw that uh, the BBC were writing about the article, not referring to Brian, but referring to David Icke, talking about uh, controversial relationships between 5G um, and the coronavirus. Now, David, what David Icke says, you can take her or leave, that's entirely up to you. What flabbergasted me about the whole thing, though, was the amount of attention that it got. And when you talk about this kind of stuff, did, is, it, is it because controversy attracts a lot of attention? Or, you know, David, you've interviewed him. Or do you think he makes a lot of sense? Mm. So I want to do a shout out to London Real. Um, I've passed some guests on to London Real and I know that they've got guests after I've had them on my show. Um, in this instance, it was Brian and London Real that inspired me to interview David Icke because I heard, I think I heard him there before I got him on my show. And I want to tell you why I got David Icke on my show and some of the other controversial guests, because people misunderstand some of my motives sometimes. And that's okay. I don't mind being misunderstood. Um, if you want to be great, you've got to be misunderstood. So I think a critical element of growth is to not just learn in the areas that support your values, but to learn to challenge your own critical thinking and look at counterbalanced arguments to what you believe. Because we get this cognitive bias where we tend to own and promote and project and filter that which we believe to be true. And we can often criticize or reject or ridicule that that we do not believe. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to interview David Icke. One, because I wanted to challenge my own thinking, because I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Most of the conspiracy theories that are out there, 
I, I don't think I believe. And, and I haven't got the facts, but I want to challenge my own thinking. Because if I challenge my own thinking, I force myself into growth. That was one reason. Two, uh, you, are, you talked about controversy. I think controversy gets views and, and reach because I think human beings are hardwired in our neurology to be more alert to threat than safety to danger than safety, therefore to bad news than good news. And the media is more filled with bad news because I think it's more alluring and voyeuristic and addictive than good news because ultimately survival instinct has to kick in if we're going to survive and it therefore has to be able to, um, what would be, supersede and override the, the safety emotions. So, you know, we talk about this fight or flight and you, you, you get um, emotionally hijacked and you go into survival mode, you know, where your eyes widen um, and, you know, you, you, your stomach stops producing, you know, your, your hunger is suppressed and all the, the blood is pumped into to the, the various elements of your body and the your adrenaline flows to put you into survival mode. That has to override and overrule all positive emotion because that because positive emotion doesn't aid survival positive emotion is the reward so that's why i think conspiracy theories and bad news travels faster and goes more viral than good news i think there's um neurology and biology attached to it um and look i don't mind admitting um because i put a lot of freaking work into my content done nearly 500 podcast episodes just on one of my podcasts. Hundreds of Facebook Lives do two or three a day now. And I feel like I've earned the right to leverage a bit of controversy if it's there. So with David Icke, uh, I interviewed him. That initial interview's got nearly 600,000 views on my YouTube channel. Um, it's, um, it's one of my highest downloaded, it's in my top four um, highest downloaded podcasts of all time. Um, and we repurposed some of his content when he, um, when this whole controversy kicked off with 5G um, and we were getting thousand subscribers a day to our YouTube channel, just reposting David, David Ike content um, because he was huge and hot and of the moment. Um, now I chose not to um, use 5G um, and is, you know, that link to the coronavirus because that's not something I truly believe in. But when you're an interviewer, what you do is you curate and you draw out content from your guest. And then what I do on my podcast and on my YouTube channel is I present that content. Um, I think he's fascinating because he's polarizing. I think he's fascinating because I, I, I think you can see some extreme views. I, I think um, in order to be great, you need to have strong challenge and probably need to be ridiculed. And so you could argue that what David Icke does, he's one of the best at. Uh, and people who ridicule him just don't understand that they don't have the same set of values to him. And I know I don't have the same set of values to him, but I don't ridicule him um, because I think he challenges me to think in a critical, non-self-aggrandizing way. Like I believe I should go on a pursuit of truth and education and awareness. But as soon as I, I I'm gonna use a phrase that we all know, um, I don't feel I get sucked into this too much, but I'm going to use this as a phrase. As soon as we start to believe our own bullshit, then if we don't humbleize ourselves, the world will humbleize us. It will chuck criticism at us until we, hum we are humbleized by, by the world um, simultaneously. So I try to do that myself. I try not to let the ego get the better of me. And I try and understand that the more I learn, the more there is a counterbalanced view. Like when I wrote my book, Money, I studied communism as well as capitalism because I tried to create create the, the counter argument to the argument I was trying to offer. And that's why I'm happy to interview um, Katie Hopkins and David Icke and some very controversial guests. I think that I think I, I enjoy controversy. What, what, I, what I don't agree with is, is that how, how London Real ended up in that position um, because I, I really value the work that Brian Rose puts together. And I think he's worked really hard over a long period of time to to build that business and to and to to build such great content he brings across to so many of us, you know. Um, 
I love his stuff with Dan Pena. I think that's just hilarious. Um, but I think he just gets, he, 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 he puts a lot of time and effort into it. Just like I think with Tom Billy with Impact Theory, again, I just think he puts a lot of time and effort into making sure he produces good quality content. I know you're conscious of time because I know you've only got an hour for me. I'm very aware of that. And just so, quickly, Spencer, there's a couple of things that have come up here I think we should talk about. Okay. Um, there's a couple of comments here which I think we should address. I'm cool, by the way, for a few more minutes. Okay. You said it's a pity and it's a shame what happened to Brian Rose. That would be a one-sided view that what's happened to him is bad. Would I like a, a video to go viral and have 10 million views and then be taken down? Yeah. Because we're talking about it now on this podcast. He's able to use it as marketing. He got his LinkedIn account shut down. He's marketing that. He's doing a round three with David Icke. This is one of the most talked about videos on the internet. So, you know, he doesn't need our sympathy, you know. <laughs> because remember, he's still got those 10 million views, didn't he? Yeah. And would you rather have a video with 10 million views and then it's down or a video with 100,000 views and it's still up? So <laughs> I just thought it's important to say that, that there will be massive upside opportunity for this, for London Real and Brian Rose. That's the first thing. The next thing, and I think this is a, a good question. Well, I'd say it's a challenging question. Um, and Matt here has said, isn't, um, if I interviewed someone like David Icke, isn't that giving him the oxygen of publicity that may fuel his conspiracy theories? I'm going to answer, and I'd love you to answer it, um, Spencer, because I think you'll have a more, uh, I think you'll have a more direct answer than me. Um, so my answer would be, um, that is the projection of, so Matt asked this, of Matt's values. So for Matt to say, am I not giving oxygen to David Icke's conspiracy theories, is to assume that his theories are wrong and to judge that Matt believes they are wrong. Now, what I'm trying not to do on my work is judge the right and the wrong of it. I'm, I'm trying to create a media of honesty. And I'll challenge my own views. Like, I'll, I'll, if, if someone is, if, if I think that the uh, content would be good enough, I'd have someone come on my show that's a critic of mine or wants to pick me apart. I challenge myself to interview people who I don't necessarily agree with as well as people I'm fans with because it gives a more balanced show. Um, and I would also argue that someone like David Icke doesn't need me <laughs> to leverage him because I think he's already got a big platform. But what would you say to someone who says, interviewing someone like David Icke, isn't that just giving him oxygen? Am I going to be doing um, anti-vax and flat earthers next? Well, flat earthers, I think, is a whole other category. But um, look, David Icke has an opinion, and he's independent in his opinion, and nobody has to agree with it. But why shouldn't he be able to voice his opinion? Why shouldn't he be able to say what he thinks? And a conspiracy theorist that backs not everything up with, with data, but a conspiracy theorist that backs stuff up with data should be allowed to be, to, to be, to be heard. Um, so I, you know, would I, if David Icke contacted me and said, can I come on your show and can, I, can, I, can you interview me? I'd jump at the chance. Not that, again, I would agree with everything he says, but what's wrong with someone sharing their opinion and views? I think Matt is his name, isn't it? I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know you were the Oracle, Matt. So I, I, and, until we know for, for sure about anything, then well, I think everyone should have the chance to stand on the, the soapbox and voice their thoughts and opinions. So Matt has said here, I don't believe he's wrong. I don't believe anything. I rely on facts, on empirical evidence. And so, so did, okay, that's, that's great. Have you got that empirical evidence? Can we have it? Because right now we're going through the coronavirus and everyone's, everyone's now doubting what the WHO was saying the other day when this all started. So God knows how much going on about there in terms of misinformation. What are the facts? But nonetheless, can we not, can we not share opinions? Can we not share thoughts? Can we not share ideas? Can we not, can we not debate situations? Because... Everything that I know, do I know it to be absolutely true for the rest of the world? Not always. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point, Spencer, because um, uh, what I've discovered in life, and I'm a humble student, not a master of life, but what I've discovered in life is the more I learn and the more aware I become of things, actually, uh, the less I realize I know and the more I realize there's an infinite amount of information out there. And it, and it, it humbleizes me to realize I don't know a lot. Um, and I think you've got to be careful where you get your facts from and what are facts 
And just because, um, so Matt's saying here, it's better to share facts, but um, how, how can we know that what Matt believes, say believes, for example, um, there's not evidence of 5G causing harm, um, but um, maybe, maybe yeah, but someone like David. Space, there's a load of people out there the other day that when the World Health Organization came out with that information, that Imperial College study was done, everyone, load of people took that information and said it was gospel, it was fact, it was true. Only to find out that everyone starts to, you know, retract themselves and start going, well, wait a minute, maybe it's not true, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But in that moment, when Imperial College came out with it, it went onto the news, everyone went, well, that's the fact. So, yeah. you know, what, what are facts? You know, in every, you know, I don't mean in every single situation, okay? But what are facts? And a lot of the times it's opinion, it's thoughts, or it's interpretation, okay, of someone's opinion or someone's data. And again, even if it is data, it's how do you interpret data? So, and you're right. I know I'm 50 years old in two weeks time. I know nothing about nearly everything. Okay. I know a little bit about a couple of things and I've traded on the back of that for a number of years and, yeah. every, and every, every day is a learning experience. And when we're younger, when we're in our thirties, I don't know how Matt is, but when we're younger, we find it much harder to learn because we think we know more. It's only as you go through a cycle, get into your forties, you realize you don't know as much as you did know. Um, and that opens you up again to wanting to learn um, and, and consume information that you think may be valuable to you. But how many times yeah. two people stood there together and gone, I bet you 50 quid this. And the other one's gone, I bet you hundred quid that. They both think they're absolutely right and bang on the money. I bet yeah. So who is right? Yeah, who is right? <laughs> um, I think, you know, what I want to promote on my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, number one is I want to interview guests that people go, whoa, I never would have thought of that guest. Because there's, there's so many great people you could interview, um, you know, who are probably on lots of podcasts and probably would be your more vanilla standard choice. Um, but I always want to challenge myself to challenge myself. Uh, and, and David Icke certainly did that. Um, and I think we need to, I don't know, I feel like it's wise to see an event, a person, a discussion and a subject from all sides. I'm a fan of capitalism, but if I don't study socialism and communism, I'm myopic and one-sided. And in reality, there is, I don't even know if there is ever any extreme. Like I told you my, you know, my, one of my love is for hi-fi. So if you look at those speakers there, you have a bass response uh, and, and you, know, you have a, a high-end frequency as well. So in music, you have the, the bass, the mid-range and the treble. Yeah. Uh, and if you took one of those elements out, you don't have music. Um, so, you know, I think in conspiracy theories, you have to have the doomsday thinkers, um, you know, and then you have to have the more, I guess, sort of um, conventional thinkers. And that argument and that, debate creates tension which creates growth and progress so you can't have the yin without the yang the up without the down you cannot you know most systems now in the world are not purely capitalist they're sort of socio-capitalist or some some socialist regimes are actually more communist and really we have a load of hybrid systems now so there is no all bad about socialism there is no all bad about capitalism. Let's be honest, I'd much rather have money than have to store all my goods and, and trade them for non-money. Hey, I want to buy- hey, Hold on a minute here. I'm married to a Russian that grew up in communist times and I know her parents very well. And I tell you what, there's a lot of positives, a lot of positives to be talked about, about how they lived their life Okay, and the misinformation that a lot of us had around what that actually was to for us to poo-poo it, you know, and everything that went with it. So you know, I, I talked to a lot of them and they're like, it was better. We had a, we had a better life. And you know what? I believe that one of, and of course, I'm still trying to figure this out. I believe, not I know, uh, but I believe that one of the purposes of life um, is to grow, to evolve. Um, Many great people I've studied and, you know, if you study history, you know, no human being gets up wanting to be smaller and know less and do less and be less. We, we have inside us a yearning for growth. Now, not in all areas. Uh, some people, you know, they want to grow in their family life. 
and their adventure, but maybe not in their capital. Others like us in our business want to grow in our capital and the, the difference that we make. But in our areas of highest value, I believe every person I've ever met and the people I've studied who are far wiser than me have said that every human being has an inbuilt desire for growth, growth, progress. Um, uh, uh, and so what do we need for growth? We need to disprove what used to work to prove a superior model. We need to create a hybrid of two good models to create a better model. We need to build and then we need to destruct and rebuild. Um, and that is evolution. And that is the human, one of the human drives inbuilt within us. I believe that's been scientifically proven. Um, you know, someone who's inspired in martial arts don't want to stay on white belt. They want to go back to white belt. They want the third down, the fourth down, the fifth down. So, um, you know, it, it, I think wisdom is looking at all systems, like, you know, socialism and capitalism, and looking at all opinions and going, okay, how can I create maybe a hybrid or something unique that enables me to live my values and to grow and to make a difference um, and to be bigger and better? Um, I believe that's a human pursuit. Rob, I, man, I just thoroughly enjoy talking to you. I get so much out of it. Guys on Instagram, I hope you've enjoyed listening to Rob. I really, really appreciate your time. For all of you guys out there that have supported Rob, yeah, he's a great guy, isn't he? And uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to this today, you guys out on Facebook, on uh, Rob's channels anyway. I really appreciate that. Um, Rob, thanks, mate. Um, I'll make sure I get this content to you. But um, yeah, I want to go into a whole other subject that, that it's going to take half an hour, 40 minutes. Let's, to do, that let's, do another, let's do another one at some point. And can we do a shout out for your podcast to my audience as well? Please, yeah. Guys, if you, if you want to go to the Spencer Lodge podcast, I've had Tony Robbins on the show, obviously Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Prince EA, who probably you've seen on social media. Um, I've had Dr. Shafali Sabari, who's the psychi uh, psychologist on the Oprah Winfrey show. And I have Oprah Winfrey coming to my podcast later this year. Last week, I interviewed just quickly a guy called Nick Yassik, who was 22 years on death row for a crime he didn't commit. Oh my God, it's been the most compelling content I've ever made. But anyway, thank you very much. Go check it out if you can, I'd appreciate it. And I just wanna to add to that, Spencer, it's a huge privilege to be in such esteemed company. I feel like um, the white belt among the black belt. So I just wanna say thank you for um, you know, engaging in these conversations. I love chatting with you. I know we'll be doing a lot more of it. So thank you very much. Take care, have an awesome few days ahead and I hope you stay safe. And uh, in regards to everyone in Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Bye, man. Bye.